Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. Hello. Hello, Jonathan. How's it going? Yeah, not bad, actually. Uh, yep. So, so the, the first thing we're going to cover before we cover the book is listening to a book is not the same as reading a book. I now know why you don't have as many notes as me or as much to talk about as me. It's because you don't read it properly. Well, I do. And you I'll tell you why. You listen to for, it. For, so here's one for our listeners. Listeners, I, I have been recently uh, listening to the audio versions of these books whilst out walking with the dog in the countryside of North Leeds and then returning back and before the show i have a quick brief run through the chapter which in many respects is a prompter for the memories i have acquired during the walk where i have almost in an analog way marked the different points in the book along with the walk mike says listening to an audiobook is not reading it's a different kind of thing it's just not is lit well hold on a minute so do you not listen to audiobooks yes but and you're not saying it's not ones. reading. That's not what I said. You didn't listen to me. What I'm saying is it's a different <laughs> type of thing. And this, because we've got so many So what so you're saying is you don't is, listen to top... Well, but you don't listen to fiction. No, well, I don't want to listen to a story. A made-up story. Exactly. No, our point is we have viewers listening to this. And actually, the difference between listening to a book and reading a book is when you read a book, you give it more thought because you're sat there concentrating on your book. When you're walking your dog, you're worried about making sure that nobody catches you when you don't pick up the dog's dump. Or you're <laughs> I thinking... I am not guilty. Well, you're not, give, you're not giving it 100% of your time. You can't because you're doing something else. The human, the no, human I'm mind... I'm walking is and absorbing in, the information. It, 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 you cannot multitask. I'm not multitasking. Yes, I'm you are. solely focusing on the book. So you're not thinking walking. about your dog? Nope. Not the dog at all. Because the dog just cracks so on. You, so you not thought about the dog? No, nope. fair enough. Okay, good. You're not thought about crossing the road? You're not thinking about the scenery? It's not the point. So what you're saying is, if our, li if our I, listeners... I'm saying, are, I give well, this... What you're also saying is our listeners aren't listening to the show. Well, they are. But what they're getting is more quality from me. Because actually, <laughs> I'm giving this 100% of my attention. You're giving it In roughly 30. In order to 30. give them 50% of theirs. Uh, you're you're giving it roughly 30. Now, should you listen to Talking Books in the Car? Well, yeah, I've actually, it's actually listened to both time. these chapters twice. Well, good for you. You're giving it 60% then. I've given it 100. I've actually listened to them again. Well, and actually, you. there's a point in the book where right. one right. of there's let, actually a point in the book where one of the iconics or oh. whatever they're called, one of the icons, actually says he often listens to an audiobook, then goes back and reads the analog version, and he is an iconic. Well, I don't think working at BT makes you an icon. No, I think he's the J.P. Morgan guy. Is he? Yeah. Well, anyway, so, so I listen listeners. To so, so what after are we on? Mike and I have had a little bit of a to do. So we're on chapter three, which is which about is control. control. Or, should we, or should we just review what the book's about for those? You... Uh, do, you, do you want to do a quick process? So a quick, quick process. These, the, these people have done uh, a bit of a review on what makes a salesperson great. They've picked some iconic people that we've uh, mocked for ages, so I'm not going to bother. But they've based much of their research on. And they're then breaking the different characteristics down they're saying this is a characteristic that makes a top salesperson and this is what we think about that characteristic a good thing on the book is they say the characteristic in this chapter is control is the destination belief 
and they then call it a journey motor motivator, i.e. what does it take to get to your destination? And they then debate the two different journey motivators. For example, carrot versus stick. So I've got a challenge with this book. I, I think well, the book is better than I think it is. Well, that's because you don't read it. Oh, shut up. So I think the book is better than I think it is. And here's where I'm coming from with this is this is a book that is a study of... And it is a study. And uh, as we said last week, a rigorous one at that. Um, it has academic intellectual rigour from a research perspective. I'm not sure you could do a, a, a release a drug based on... The, no, the but you could, research, you, could, but you could hand that in as a thesis at the end of university and you'd get an A yeah. for it. Yeah, uh, it's... It, it's it, I'm sure plenty of people get a first-class honours degree with a dissertation nowhere nearly as rigorous. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it, what I think is the challenge that I'm finding here is, to me, having undertaken my own 20-year study of the salesperson's secret code and lived it, eaten it, and breathed it consistently, it all feels so bloody obvious. But... I think that's actually my blind spot at having spent so long personally studying that. I think actually if I sat in my car and I was a salesman right now, this is full of good stuff. Yes. And, and it's a debate. It's not a call to action. No, it's... There's the odd call to action. There's a sheet that you fill in. But, but it's like a philosophical debate, isn't it? Yes. And it's there to prompt and... That generate just getting, some just thinking. thinking isn't it? Yeah. so let's talk about the first one then control you know i'm going to give you a good example of this actually there was once a man called james grant i'm sure his name was james grant and if james grant's still alive i apologize because this james grant worked at idea gen he was in his 40s he died in his early 40s oh that's sad yeah really sad a bit of top 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 guy i can remember once speaking to him and um he wasn't at idea gen at the time he was i can't you'd find him on linkedin um and uh, and he said right and then he recited back to me what he wanted me to do. And I said, James, I'm not going to let you push me around, but I respect the fact that you're trying to control me. And he and I, from that moment onwards, just got on great. Because when he used to recruit, he said control, and the salesperson's control of themselves in the sales cycle was the number one thing he interviewed for. I think control is a really so just explain what the, what the authors here are defining as control because they're not necessarily referring to they're um, saying you must be accountable for success yes that's what they're saying they're saying that control so that they talk about there's two ends of the journey motivator spectrum at one end is the what they call the victim and at the other end is what they call the hero and what they're saying is that poor performers have this mentality of there is only so much i can control the top performers uh, their research and the rigor in it says that the top performers are take ultimate responsibility for their own destiny which they call a hero journey motivator do they not they do and so there's some really interesting points here where they quote Sigmund Freud. Most people do not really want freedom because freedom involves responsibility and most people are frightened of responsibility. Yet salespeople who hold this journey motivated to see full ownership is the only real guarantee of gaining or maintaining control. And this, this is one of the examples of where I've sort of been a bit like, yeah, 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 tell me something I don't already know, but then it might be something that others don't. And you and I see this all the time where 
we meet a lot of people and we often talk about it. you and I are at the scene of the car crash. Oh, right, what's happening that's got you looking for something new? Well, marketing just didn't come up with the leads. Yeah, absolutely. Or, oh, products end of life. Uh, and there's a reason why. And one of the things I often am very fond of and I love to see are the sales guys that walk through the door and you already know, for me, it's a really key signal flag is the candidate that walks in and turns around to you and says, it hasn't worked out here. And you go, why? And they go, well, I didn't sell enough. And you go, why? And they go, because I haven't performed. You very rarely hear that. No, very rarely. Very rarely hear it because do you know why, Mike? Because the ones that have that mindset aren't look, very rarely looking for jobs. Yeah, true. Because they're flying and building careers. Yeah, and I occasionally mean, you'll meet one where maybe their life circumstances have tr- conspired against them, something's gone wrong, they've underperformed a little bit, and they'll walk through the door and they go, well, actually, I lost the plot a bit, I haven't performed, I've not cut it here. And that's been very frustrating because when I look back, I think I could have done it differently. Mm-hmm. But they won't point a finger of blame. They'll just say it was my fault, I didn't do it. And that, that's an immediate indicator. In the same way, I can always tell the same thing when they walk through the door and they'll go, uh, I'll go, what was your target last year? And they'll say, oh, it was uh, 1.2 million. What did you achieve? 87.4%. And what? they're so precise about it. And, you, and, I'll, and they're gutted, aren't they? Well, it says here, low performers don't even know they're low performers. It's very true, that. Oh, it's so true. And I like this bit. I mean, we've obviously heard it, you and I, a lot. Page 96. And the bit, he, Have you ever heard a salesperson who missed their target say, my quote is too high? The yep. pricing strategy is wrong, the leads are weak, or the, or the product is too old. Yep, I hear that every single day. All the day. time. We get that all the time. Um, and this bit, low perform. So I think that this is worth extrapolating upon what a little bit. On? 96. Low performers don't even know they are low performers. Yeah, they consider themselves amongst the most enlightened of people, brave, courageous, optimistic industrious souls des- denied greatness only by other people's mistakes or an unfavorable twist of fate and uh, I, I wrote here the shit ones are always the most arrogant i don't agree with that really yeah i don't agree with that at all do you not think so we've talked about this a lot i, th- I don't think arrogance and performance is linked in that way i think some people are arrogant some aren't i just don't agree mike fair enough you know and i know that there is a direct correlation between uh, how often do you meet a top, top, top guy and he's an arrogant arsehole? Yeah, well, that, you've got a point, but I, I think... They're what? not, because they have a humility about them, because they, they know. Oh, you upset because I interrupted? Yes. Uh, for sh- those sh- who sh- weren't watching. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is going to be is the rubbish ones, they're not arrogant. What they are is they're protecting themselves by pretending to be arrogant. Yes, it's they're not actually very good, arrogant. Very, very astute, Mike. That it's a thin veneer of arrogance. And when you get this arrogance, like you, a little I, crispy shell yeah, yeah, protecting. Think, and when the I baby get this chick. arrogance, I think that's not real arrogance. I think to myself, what's wrong with you? Now, actually, the top performers don't need to act like that because they have nothing to hide. No arrogance in this case prove. is in the case that we see it is actually people hiding things. The puffed out chest. Yeah, 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 hubris, 100%. And, the big and, watches. Yeah, and I always think to myself, when you know, slightly off, off kilt this, but I always think to myself, you know, when people are that arrogant or aggressive with me, I think, do you know, it's funny because actually the top guys I know aren't this arrogant or aggressive. 
I wonder what you're hiding. It's often it's very showy, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. They're often very showy. Just fuel to the fire of, as, a rec- as a recruit. You think, well, I'm going to keep pushing you to see what happens. Yes, and I think the book actually at some point it does, uh, it does allude to the fact that they often absolutely look, sound and talk the absolute oh, part. It, it, it can't not cover it. If it if, I tell you what, if this book doesn't cover that, I'm going to give it a 2 out of 10. That They look, sound, talk the absolute part and they, th- th- everything about them looks right, sounds right. Um, and and the, they actually allude to um, an article that was in the Journal of Social Psychology and that I think latterly then therefore thereafter made itself into the Harvard Business View. And I'm going to look that article up because I've got a HBR account where it's uh, uh, the article was called Those Who Can't Don't Know It. Um, and the conclusion was that incompetent people don't achieve most standards set for them, find excuses for their own incompetence and don't recognise higher competence in others. And it really reminded me of somebody I used to work with who I almost could, could almost write his own, rewrite his own history. Right. You it, see that a lot, though. Yeah. See that a lot in people. So journey motivated too. I'm ultimately responsible for my own destiny. Hero, I'm a hero. Uh, and the vernacular hero, and uh, it's a little bit irksome. Um, and and it's a bit irksome to me because um, it reminds me a little bit of the uh, Stephen Gilligan book, The Hero's Journey, which, it, if anybody's into sort of really high end, slightly more esoteric NLP, is well worth reading if you've got a reasonable background in it. Um, uh, and I, I sort of, I get it. I'm ultimately responsible for my own destiny. It's so true. I felt this chapter padded out a little bit. This story about Irish showmakers' high pink high heels, I just couldn't get the relevance of it to being a performer. And I, I didn't like it. I, I, I got grumpy with it whilst walking through the woods, which I can precisely remember the point at which I was walking well, through the woods. Well, were you grumpy because of the book or were you grumpy because you stepped in a puddle because you were doing something else? No, I was grumpy because the book was annoying me. Well, I don't know. He said, you know, he says some stuff that's all right, doesn't he? Yeah. So when we uh, looked at the interview transcripts of this group, we saw a pattern of behaviour that could be summarised in the following three points: engaging, affecting, evolving. No shit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, really? But, but like I say, that's you and I. I, I I'm. No, so, I think I can't I, work out if that's the, the filter Joe through Punk which you and I. Street could have worked, figured that. Do you out. think? Oh, uh, that's God not dear. our filter affecting no, our so. enthusiasm. This, I mean, th- there's this bit, isn't there? Which is there was a major change underway which appeared to be progressing well, but the internal sale, bloody blah. And this is on about Irish shoe, Irish shoemakers who worked uh, at Cisco. Bloody she blah. completely changed the channel. What a hero. With her pink high heels. With her pink, what a hero she was. And actually I read, and I'm going to stop knocking the icons now really, because I've not done it too much. But I read it thinking, oh really? So there were lots of companies who had built their company around Cisco's channel, and then Cisco changed their channel <laughs> and they had to change their business model to Mary Cisco's channel. What a hero! Yeah. Who'd have thought but Can it? you see why I got a bit grumpy with it? And she just wore high heels to do it. And it was the pink high heels. So th- there's a couple of bits that we can discard here, but th- there are some of these points are really, really bang on. Um, I actually put here, you know, there's a quote here from uh, this guy, uh, Jake. JP Morgan. When I talk to my salespeople, I encourage them to forget that they are technically employed by a company. I ask them to imagine themselves as self-employed running the whole show. They were CEO of their own business and responsible for the client experience and all results. What might that do for their mindset? I get a great reaction from people as it helps to shift mentality. And, uh, there's a pi- uh, an episode of A Pipe with JG, which I'm going to allude to here, where I talked a lot about 
looking at an interview as if you were selling or buying a franchise in that organization. Yes. And often I find the top performers will look at a job as if they are in many respects going for an interview where they are asking the organization to lend them money until such time as they make the money back yeah, as, yeah. A, as in many respects a franchisee there's also a comment here top performers believe they're equipped with a mandate to create legacy what do you think to that mike top performers are equipped mm. well i'm going to make a reference actually to part of this which is dilip Mulvaganum, the microsoft guy body bar to build a legacy that help others now actually i'm not as into it as you are but if you look at your maslow's hierarchy of needs dilip Mulvaganum, he's at the top point of self-actualization doesn't need shelter doesn't need money. food doesn't need food so actually he's fortunate enough to be self-actualizing through his work through his work so what I think is... He ain't, he ain't fight, he ain't, isn't fighting for survival. If Microsoft Fire is he, he's going to pay his mortgage, you would have thought. Yes. Unless he's got a mass, unless he's got a... God knows. But So my point is, I think what happens with the top performers is actually where they end up is they end up self-actualizing anyway. And part of self-actualizing is creating a legacy. So I think this is where the guy's research lets him down because he's asking the wrong question. I think his research is coming out saying, well, all these top formers, they all want to leave a legacy. Well, that's not the case, actually. All the top formers are able to leave a legacy. Yes, I think that's a really smart point. It's a natural extension mm. of where they are at in their performance cycle. Yes, and so they're interviewing them and they're not really finding out what made them great. They're finding out what they do now that they Be Because they are great they believe they have a mandate to create legacy because yeah. the, because they're in a position to do so. But if I put you in the shoes of sales guy of a 22 X, of a 22 year old uh, Richard Branson, he won't create a legacy. No. Or, or a 22 year old James Kahn, he was just keeping his head above water. Or a, correct. He a, was or a 27 year old business founder who thinks I got four. Well, you and I, the week we started the business. You remember, I, I, I think I had about three months worth of money to live on and you had about the same. None. I wouldn't have thought no uh, me. Uh, uh, yeah. But, you know, so our point is, I think he interviews them for the wrong reason. And that's my whole problem with the icon, that a lot of the interview material is based on people who are there. Oh, guess what? All these icons, they're all in really good nick because they can all afford a personal trainer. But actually, how many of them would have been in as good of nick when they really started off their career? But then actually, how could these guys interview on them? So I don't actually agree with his point. Well, we'll come to that um, in the whole chapter now on I, resilience. Did you fill in? Are you out of them because you're walking your dog? Uh, my control review. I looked at it, didn't fill it in, no. Oh, I did. Did you do it because you read the book? Yes. And I had a pen in my hand. style, and you had a pen in your hand. Yes. I didn't. I had a dog lead in mine. So, so this is the only bit of um, call to action that there is in the book. And in fairness, there's one page of this in every 50, isn't there? Where you've got to write down how you think Yeah, about there it. is. And his questions are is... I'm not going to read out my answers. What's the point? But when something doesn't go as planned, who has final accountability? Do you need others to give you praise? If so, why do you think that is? Guess what I wrote to? Do you need others to give you praise? No. Write down your talents. How long did it take us to think about answering this question? Who are our role models? Mike will have written none. I don't... <laughs> uh, uh, for those of you who are listening, Michael has just shown me the book. He has written none. <laughs> 
Yes. Uh, Mike doesn't have role models. Michael is Michael's role model. Correct. What was it like last time you achieved something that you put outside your comfort zone? What new talents did you acquire? What did you learn about yourself? <laughs> That's his call to action. And then he sort, and then he sort of summarised it. Additional control insights from top performing salespeople, and blah de blah. I thought the chapter was really boring, but should have been great. Um, he then finally he looks at his destination beliefs. And he looks at the journey motivator. And for those of you who are interested, he says seventy eight percent of the top people get to their destination belief by having the journey motivator, which is hero. I am ultimately responsible for my own destiny. Yeah. And it's true. Yeah, I mean, it's just got to be, hasn't it? <laughs> oh, I'll get to where I am because I'm a victim. But what I think the what, what I think they do miss out here is they talk about some people who are quite good within their comfort zone. So, for example, um, you know, they, they, they allude to earlier on in the chapter about, uh, oh, well, I, I'm really good with a certain type of account. Um, I'm good in a certain type of market. And sometimes people tend to perform in those environments because they know, you know, I was speaking to a candidate the it's other week. It works. I was speaking to a chap the other week and he said, listen, I'm not the most, by his own admission, he was like, I'm not that talented, but what I am good at is X and I'm good at that and therefore the next job I find has to be that. Yes, well, he's got a lot of self-awareness. Correct. Which is a good key skill. But... He, he wasn't at any point say, alluding, he, he was almost saying, listen, I'm not really that good a salesman, but actually, if you give me a nice warm account to walk in, I'm very capable of doing a very good job in it and I'll get him to spend more money. And in many respects, the, 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 that's where the rigour falls because actually sometimes people are very good one-trick ponies and are cognizant of being a good one-trick pony, I aren't agree. they? Chapter four is about resilience. So they think one of the key skills of a top performing salesperson is resilience. Do you agree with that, Jonathan? Um, yeah. Can't not, can you? No, uh, uh, absolutely. It's absolutely bang right. Yeah, yeah. Can't and not. I think what we need to do is is just make sure that we're all agreed on what the author's view of resilience is, please, Michael. Well, I can read it out if you'd like. I think we ought Resilience is about how you withstand the impact of work and life events, including adversity, comma, and your ability to get back on your feet again. Our well-being and resi resilience are built from a balance of expanding energy during performance and taking time for renewal and recovery, yep. thereby regaining energy. When stress arises generally from demands or pressure for something that we care about, resilience helps us recover from the damage caused by doing it. Etc. Yeah, etc. Absolutely. And then he goes on to and then he goes on to talk about stress. Yeah, and, and oh, in many what? respects, this is a great extension of some of the conversations we had about the Michael Hyatt book, where he talked about this a lot, didn't he? About recovery. Yes, he did. Uh, um, and, I thought it was a good book. That. Yeah, I love those that. of you who didn't listen to it. Michael Hyatt, focus. Free to focus. Free to focus. Read that book. Be careful you subscribe to his uh, online sheets. It's very well. I can't unsubscribe. Mon Dieu, you get a lot of stuff through. So oh, man. He's really pushing his new book, isn't he, about hiring PAs? I've never read it. Well, it's not out I don't. Well, I don't read his emails. It's, well, I, I have I a quick go, look Michael through Hyatt, like, nope. So resilience then, uh, you know, they're saying 80% of today's workers feel maxed out. They say with exercise declining, poor eating habits on the rise, uh, think fast food, fad diets and energy drink, we see chronic illness such as diabetes, cancer, obesity and cardiovascular disease have risk to businesses everywhere. 70% of all treatment costs entirely preventable if people made small changes to their behaviour, beliefs and to achieve greater resilience. So what they're saying is, 
basically, if you're rested and in good nick, you will perform better than if you are shattered and not. That's one of the things he says. He also says, and I'm paraphrasing him hugely here, but you build up resilience. And actually, the better you get at managing stress, the more stress you can take. Yes. Which is fair enough. Uh, and also, the managing you know, we think stress. We're stressed, we think we're stressed out. I, I would imagine somebody turning up, you know, a paramedic turning up to the scene of a car crash on the motorway, probably a bit more stressed than us. But they're probably not, Mike. They're probably not as fired off at times in fight or flight because they get good at that. Yeah, we get good at that. And their competence. We get good at that. How many things stress you out as a salesman? Not much. Much, far fewer than they used to because I've developed my resilience. And let's get it right. We, I know you and I in particular work very, very hard at that. Yeah, well, a lot of it's just environmental, isn't it? Well, I sort of rub off on you, you rub off on me a little bit, and before you know Just it... get used to it, don't you? Yeah, it's a cultural, environmental thing. But it, it, it is an, it, this is, I think, a really fascinating chapter, and I, there's so I, I, much I, more I like, to the conversation. I like this, page 128. It talks about SAS. Who'd have thought SAS was one of the best places in the world to work at? Yeah, it is widely recognised as one of the... Why, that? why do you think candidates want to work there? Don't know. I don't know. I don't have anything to do with in the analytics Because I tend to... Yeah, well, I don't do analytics, do I? They're very, very well respected as an employer. And it goes on, it says, results like this demonstrate how the body's need for resilience is business relevant. Most organisations hire people for the software in their minds, all their intelligence, wisdom and genius. However, that software lies dormant if the machine isn't plugged in and its battery restored on a regular basis. So what they're saying is, be as good as you want, but if you're not good at coping with stress, there's no point hiring you. I do agree with that. But I actually think quite often people's background speaks for itself. Go on, what do you mean? Well, if somebody's had five jobs in 20 years, why interview them for their capability of dealing with stress? They obviously can, can't they? Yeah, well, you and I were, uh, have been talking about a, a client that we're engaged with at the moment where the candidate's had two jobs in 14 years is a ridiculously good match and they've just not moved forward with them for just the most... Well, I know it's really done your head in that, hasn't it? It's done my head in... As a rejection of a candidate, it's quite comfortably the most fucking stupid thing I've seen a company do for a long time. I'd say for five years. Easily. Well, as long as you can remember, I take it. Oh, it's just, but it's, it's just preposterous if you actually look at the skill set of the individual. But they're not. But that, we're, we're digressing. So, journey motor, so there's two different journey motor, motivators to get to resilience. And this is One interesting. Is, in the face of challenge, I work even harder and win through, work hard. Which is on one side of the, the scale. Yeah. The second is, in the moments of adversity, I find a new and creative way to achieve goals. And if you read the book, by the way, there's a, um, a balance between these two points. Yes, there so is. So they're not they're saying that somebody's all one or the other, but they're saying the top people tend to be more one and than And what they're the saying, actually, and again, there's, rig there's rigour in the research, is I think it... Balances out about fifty nine forty one, doesn't it? On well, they always put uh, that at the last page. Don't yeah, they? absolutely. So forty one fifty nine. Yeah, ninety one percent of low performing salespeople said they believed they had to work harder to win their deals. Now I, I've got mixed feelings about this because well, it's I think, a very balanced journey motivator spectrum, though, isn't it? It's fifty one forty nine. Yeah. Uh, so you're uh, going to. Uh, my mixed feelings are one: I tend to work pretty hard. You tend to work pretty hard, Mike. But equally, we're both very focused on renewal and refreshment um but two sometimes there are times where you've got to go to the mattresses 
as they there say. Are, the there are, but it makes me think. I don't know if David Shields actually reads books. Can you read David Shields? I'm not sure. But um, he once said about working hard isn't working hard. Hard work isn't sitting here till late at night. And this guy says the same, doesn't he? What actually, well, ha- hard work is actually being, is com- turning up sharp, turning up refreshed and thinking of a better way you know, of hard getting work really is. It, hard work really is. It is not, I know it's a negative way of doing it, but not being mealy-mouthed. Correct. So, hard. for example, I used to th- think that Oliver Heimann works longer than he needed to because he never really, truly said what he thought at the time. Never told the truth. Never lied, though. Never lied because never told but it never like it was. never actually said, tell you what, Jonathan, I am definitely not going to put your CV in front of this client because I just don't think the client will like you. And I don't think you're a good match to the job. Rather would have said, I'll have a look and get back to you. And then make, and then have to make a, a note. Then have to make a note to get back to someone. Yeah. And then either didn't make the note, didn't make the call, at which point the candidate got pissy, understandably. Because the or instead of saying, I'm going to qualify out on this one, mate, I'll yeah, tell you what. You're not right. Absolutely. Uh, so but, said, uh, but I also think there's, uh, for me, I think the point they're getting at in terms of hard work is, yeah, there's sitting here till 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, there's being the adrenaline fueled. I'm a grafter. One more call, one more call, one more call. And actually, there's a time and a place for one more call, one more call. One of the most successful guys I know, very, very successful guy I know who owns a very successful electronics and technology company now, when he first started in his sales career, and this, we're talking about a fella who I know actually has done a bit of, of done a bit of jail time, this fella. He's, he's a very colourful character, but he's now a very successful guy. Um, he used to have a placard on his car, literally a placard that said one more call when he was a, an advertising salesman at the start of his career. And it's that work ethic that actually he's an iconic. He's this is a guy who is from absolutely nothing, it's and he's now an Aston Martin driving wealthy man. It's part of what makes him good. Work Correct. The only thing though, will it? But he was prepared to go one step further. I think he's right. This so behavior- I don't think it's a baby we should throw out with the bathwater. Yeah, here. but they don't say that. Though. They say no, it's a balance between the two parts. They do, and I think they're absolutely hundred percent right. Makes reference to a brilliant play, Death of the Salesman. Never watched it. Um, <laughs> probably good, though. Uh, and then I he, walked uh, out of it at halftime. We actually went to see it at Leeds Playhouse. Oh. And my wife and I left at halftime and I said, if I want to see a knackered, depressed salesman, I will go to work. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, people turned round and shh. Yeah. So he obviously makes reference to Stephen yeah. Covey, which you're always going to do about the, the woodcutter well, shop. Let's talk about the Journey Motivator too. And I use moments of adversity to find new and creative ways to achieve goals. So my issue with this is this. To be creative under pressure is a very difficult thing. You've come up with a really creative idea this week. And you did it whilst running to work. Oh, yeah, with the client. It was good, that, wasn't it? That's a very creative moment. Yeah, and I'm, well, and I'm meeting the client next week. And he's never, never replied to my call, ever. Ever? In 19 years. It, or however long it is. 19, yeah. 19. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I and you've w- had a creative moment and you've got a result out of it. A yeah, bloody yeah. big result that will yield big, I would imagine. Yeah, I think we'll do a good I'd job. I'd be surprised if it doesn't. But that's a creative moment that's come. It didn't, uh, it didn't come under stress, is your point? No. If you think about the background behind that, 
we're on two, three, four, five consecutive decent months. Business is in a good place. We're doing some smart stuff. You've run into work that morning. The question is, when the chips are really down, how easy is it to find creative ways well, to achieve Well, that's the point goals? of this book, isn't it? If you take anything away from this book, it should be just to get you thinking about what you're thinking about. Correct. That, that so your co- thinking should be, right, I feel under stress now. What am I going to do? Should I work harder or should I or find should a I better way? Or should I go home and go for a walk? Or should I find a better way? Yeah. And he's saying you should and find a better way. And actually what the book is saying is the yeah. Iconics go home and go for a walk and come up with an idea the next morning, get an early night, come in refreshed with a smart idea to make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. They're saying they find a better way. Yeah. It's a salespeople who use moments of adversity to find new and creative ways to achieve goals and more successful more of the time. They begin with an attitude that every problem is an opportunity to shine. Yeah, I think a lot of people just move jobs in those situations. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, he said a bit they're re- cynically. They're really good ones, don't they? No. Let's get it right. I don't know if he's listening, but what? the man I'm going to quote actually is Peter Richmond's background at Welcome. Right. You know, what do Welcome do? They, sell, I mean, I'm probably misquoting him a little bit, but they sell software to uh, lenders who subprime lend to, lenders. Subprime lenders. I bet in 20, 2009, I bet that was a pretty tough market, you know. <sighs> you know how difficult that was? Can you imagine? He still seems to be there, though. Still selling stuff. It must be It must be selling stuff, must not it? Because it finds a way. That's what I mean. He's a resourceful, clever soul. Yeah. Um, and then, we, then he, he gives a few different points in terms of, you know, resilience. He yeah. does talk about uh, making re- recovery time a priority, which I do agree with. Um. And he talks about differentiating ongoing stress from occasional stress. I think Great could, point. I think he could have made more of this, actually, because it is a very good point. I well, think. I think sometimes in a lot of the books we read here on Book Club, you, a lot of the authors will pick out a point where you think, well, that's just a book in its own right. And they do allude to, and I picked up on this in the book whilst walking with my dog, Michael, um, they do allude to uh, Jim Lur who wrote a couple of really good books on performance and personal performance um, and stress and managing yourself in an executive environment and managing exhaustion mm. and stress. I have actually read one of Jim Lur's books many, many years ago, and they do allude to that. And I think in many respects, I would Im- I'm would. i hoping there's a really good bibliography at the end. There is. Um, it's one you've got to read on more. You know, the whole concept of resilience. Don't fitness, you think some people. Mental fitness. He's never said this actually, but he's, he's sort of talking about stress a lot because resilience is the you know, thing that battles that. Don't you think that some people are just more likely to be stressed than others? Couldn't agree more. You know, you, you know both my daughters. They've both grown up, same parents, same house. Very different animals. Our eldest one. Not stressed. We went to a festival this weekend. She climbed 60 metres up a tree. Yep. I actually wouldn't have thought a heart rate changed a great deal. Youngest one, she's going to be a stress head. And uh, and that's just that's just nature, isn't it? Well, it's part nature, part nurture. Not much nurture, I don't think. But my point is, some people are just more inclined to be highly stressed than others. Some people naturally have higher blood pressure than others. Different resilience levels... Yeah, you know, what is stress? Well, it's chemical reaction in your brain. Some people are going to produce a different amount of chemical in the brain 
purely because the pan- is the pancreas where all your hormones are released? You're above my pay grade here now, Price. But you know what I mean? Some people just manage stress in different ways. If you're a big fat person, you're going to manage stress differently to if you're not. Now, I know you're saying everybody should be absolutely fighting weight all the time, but that's not, not just life, is it? No. And if you read the Jim Lur books, he talks about people being sales athletes. Yes, that makes sense. And this one, reframe how you think about failure. I think you would word this better and you would say, there's no failure, only feedback. Correct. It's a tough punch in the mouth to take, but it's right. There is no failure, there's only feedback. And the amount of times where we've gone, Phew, cool. that was a tough bit of feedback to swallow. But it was. But it is feedback. And, yeah. and, and, and as much as you're laughing through gritted teeth, aren't you? Sat there going, that was a hard bit of feedback to swallow. It is feedback. You know, you're talking about this it's, thing you were whining about a minute ago, about the candidate, the client not want to take the candidate forward. Let's get it right. You've I'm, got feedback. That's your a, feedback. A, it's feedback, and B, somewhere along the line, Mike, it's my fault. That's what I mean. As much as I don't like it, as pissed off as I am, as much as I want to point the finger at the client, it's my fault. Mm. I have not communicated something somewhere. Or you've not got the candidate to communicate Correct. it properly, or... I've not picked up on something in the candidate's CV that's spooked. They've got something. It's my fault. And I am the master of my ship. Yeah, and it's I, mad though, I, isn't And it? I've let my ship sail in a direction that's got me it's fuming, blaming the client. But actually, it's my fault. Do you know, it always reminds me, many, many years ago, um, th- this whole thing about resilience and control. Um, you often see young salespeople make a cold call to a, a prospect. The prospect puts the phone down. And doof, they put the, in, the, in those days, they had handsets. Doof, handset goes straight into the cradle. Dickhead. And actually... Peter Ingram was there going, ah, who's the dickhead, Jonathan? Uh, uh, we were always taught, who's the dickhead? You're the dickhead that didn't get the guy engaged on the telephone. Yeah. It's you, not them. It's not his fault he put the phone down on you. It's yours. Very so, true. Uh, and, and, and very true and the amount of times I've tried to coach that with people you can't, you can't call them a dickhead you're the dickhead you're the one who put who got the phone put down on him because you weren't engaging charming intelligent didn't have a, a, a good enough proposition to keep the guy on the phone correct correct but that amount of control is a very difficult thing particularly in younger people to get people to swallow that culturally well, it's not their fault, though, is it? We have a self-protection mechanism in our mind. You know, it's just human nature, isn't it, to protect ourselves? The customer wasn't rude to you. You just didn't excite him enough, mate. Bad luck. Anyway, so page 147. They've got a table where it has columns. Yep. And it talks about belief, and it says, limiting belief, for example, this sales call is going to be difficult. Yep. And then it, the next column is behaviour it drives, and it makes you cautious, defensive, or pessimistic. And I can see that. So you're going to the call thing, and it's going to be difficult. You therefore are going to be cautious, defensive, or pessimistic. Whereas actually, if you reframe your limited belief to say, this sales call is my chance to outshine the others, the behavior it makes is creative, optimistic, brave. And it's got a few different things in that table. It's so true. Liked it, yeah. Today's meeting will be boring. It's basic NLP reframing. Today's meeting will be boring. I think book club, boring as hell. Everyone seems to like it. (laughs) Uh, And I think it's good that. The next thing he talks about is on page 147, he says, draw strength from the times when you were at your best. I don't know if you can remember, but in about sort of early 2000s, late 90s, there was a guy called Louis van Oosterhuizen who won uh, the Open at St. Andrews. Did he? 
Yep, something like that. Somebody might correct me, but it's about like that. And he had a symbol drawn on his golf glove. And he'd hit a shot, and then he'd squeeze the symbol between his finger and his forefinger and thumb after everyone. And actually, he was anchoring himself. I thought that was a really smart thing to do. And I think that anchoring and that kind of NLP has a place here, and this is what this guy's talking about, really. Yeah, uh, I think what we're going to find is, it's, it's Ian that's coming on the show, isn't it, Lauren? I think what we're going to find when we talk to Ian We're going to really like him. A, we're going to really like him. B, we're going to find him a very, very wise fellow. Uh, and I think C, we're going to discover that he has quite a significant grounding in NLP. Oh, definitely. Now, I'm going to directly uh, allude here to Mike Winnett. Mike Winnett's got this thing about people using NLP, that it's manipulative, this, manipulative, that. There's a part of understanding NLP that is actually about management of oneself rather than necessarily yeah. the man linguistic uh, manipulation of uh, others. Anchoring, that's not mani manipulative yeah. in any way, is uh, it? Absolutely. And, you know, everybody thinks Mike Winnett's wonderful on, uh, uh, on LinkedIn I, because I he's, him, he's occasionally amusing. And he's got a real downer on people using NLP. And he's particularly, to be fair, alluding to people like Grant Cardone and, and so on. Although, obviously, he's not alluding to Grant Cardone to avoiding getting sued. Um, but it, this is useful NLP. Reframing. Reframing is really useful NLP. Yes, I agree completely. Really powerful. And it looks so simple, but it's so bloody elegant, mm. actually. I so, agree. Uh, as I say... Um, even though, actually, Michael, you'll believe I haven't read the book, I think you can quite clearly tell I have. Um, you don't seem to have read any of it. You seem to have told me about other books that you've read. No, I've read plenty. <laughs> so we've come to the end of Chapter 4. Um, and uh, as you Go know... On. I've got give, give us a score out of 10 on the book so far. It's a six and a half for me. Right, fair enough. There are some really interesting bits in it, but I'm not 100% in love with it. Um... And I'm still trying to work out whether that's because I'm comparing it to my own study and sat there going, oh, come on, mate, it's obvious. This versus Tom Hopkins, The Art of Selling. Oh, come on, mate. Because it's sort of along the same lines, isn't it? Hopkins no, talks Tom, about Tom, habits, don't you think? No, because Tom Hopkins gets into the nitty-gritty, dirty-girty of asking open and closed questions. But I think the point, point is... Which in this modern day and age, we would be told is dirty and manipulative, which I frankly think is nonsense. Um, but Tom Hopkins' How to Master the Art of Selling is still a favourite sales book of mine. Anyway, I'll tell you what I give this book. I give it about six. But I, I obviously don't like the fact that um, the icons are just irrelevant, not icons. But, but, but his there's rigour in the research and the yeah. points are bang on. Yeah, you know, the characteristics of top salespeople, which is basically the, the chapters. They're, they're, they're clearly They are good characteristics. Accurate. Yeah. So actually, if what you're looking for, if you're a salesperson and you're looking for a model. Yeah. Should you be of. Should you think about fulfillment, control, resilience, influence, communication? Yeah. Yeah. They're good things to think about. That's the model. What, and what they actually are saying is in the salesperson secret code, it's the model that constitutes the top performers mm -hmm. based on very good research. So that's not something you can denigrate and throw away. I agree. Am I really loving it and learning something massive? No. And I have to keep working with myself as to whether that's my I don't look filter. forward to reading it. Okay, well, I'm sure Ian will be delighted to come on the show to find that out. And he'll be on the show soon. Um, for those of you watching, we're going to be moving book club soon. 
to a more sophisticated studio what's environment. What's wrong with this office? We've sort of run out of space, Pricey. I know, yeah. But look, it's a nice view of Leeds. You get a great view of Leeds, but we've kind of run out of space with which to do our artistic, creative thing. So we're searching for a studio. It's all going to... The, the game's going to go up. The game's going to go up. Brilliant. Sounds good. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye.